You're listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. The thing about trust, it's, it's kind of a hard thing to give, right? To kind of place your trust in someone else. You're kind of giving up, like, like Carly and Wesley, I thought, did excellent jobs, right? Like they trusted that I was going to catch them, that, you know, they could keep their body pretty stiff. And had I not caught them, that would have been a pretty hard fall. <laughs> hey, you purple shorts, I trust you. <laughs> I mean, trust really requires a certain amount of proximity. It's hard to trust someone at a distance. Like you can only trust those things that are close. And... Part of, part of the gospel is learning to trust in the good news, right? To trust our Lord that what he says is good is good, and it's not just good in general. It's actually good for us. And in this ordinary time, what ordinary trust will look like now is that trust will, will be secure because in the, it's the one in whom we trust, and it's that message that we trust. And it, when we look around us, when, if you watch the news or just kind of pay attention to what's happening to your neighbors, it might be easy not to trust, right? Because we're, we've been told things that, like that God is good and that God loves us and that things, we have this expectation that things are going to work out. But then when we look around, all sorts of problems are around us, Right? There's food insecurity, and there's uh, job insecurity, and people kind of struggle with all sorts of difficulties in their lives, uh, diagnoses that are difficult, or, or trauma, or accident, or just, just look at how ugly we are towards each other, right? If, if someone else is different than us, if they, if they act a different way, or if they think a different way, we have like no patience for them. Patience, I think, and trust go hand in hand, right? It takes patience in order to have trust. And when we have trust, I think we will have, we will have patience. The parable that, that Donnie read for us today is, a, is an interesting one, right? They go out and they sow a field and it's sown full of grass or sown full of wheat, uh, something positive, right? It's seed that was valuable to them and they had prepped the field, and they have sown the field, and they go to bed. Then someone, comes out, someone else comes out and sows something more destructive, the weeds. And so the people who have sown the original crop don't know that someone else has come out and kind of done something that's contrary until it starts to grow, right? We, we make our profession of faith. We, we get baptized. We we, we commit our lives to Christ with an expectation that things will be better than they were in the past. And things might seem good at first. It's a little bit like a honeymoon period. But then we realize that life is hard. It's difficult. Things don't always go as, as expected. And those unexpected things can, can overwhelm us at times. We get kind of diminished in the process. And we don't know quite what to do. And so they, when, when the crops started to grow, they realized, hey, look, there's as much weeds out here as there is grass. 
like this, it's, it's like 50-50. Like we've got some wheat and we got some uh, tares. How does the King James translate that? Wheat and tares, right? I never knew what tares were. <laughs> but like grass and weeds, right? The good stuff and the bad stuff. And they're like, well, what should you do? What should we do? Should we go out and kind of just pluck up the bad stuff? And it's like, well, it's difficult, right? It doesn't quite work that way. Because if we try to just kind of to, to surgically remove those difficult things, it ends up tearing up the good things too. So here's our plan. We're going to wait until the time of the harvest. And when the harvest comes, things are going to get sorted out. And I think that's very important. It's a, it's a, it's a parable that speaks um, about how things are going to end. And I, and I believe that what we think or how we feel, what we believe about how things will end has a huge impact on how we behave now. And what sense of trust, what sense of hope we can have in the present. Are things getting worse? They certainly appear to be. But the, the statistics show us that things, in a lot of ways, are getting better. Does anybody read Steven Pinker, the, the um, Harvard professor of kind of the history of science, I think is his specialty? Yeah, so he has a famous book, Our Better Angels, that kind of tracks um, the long history of humanity through various different rubrics, right? So he's looking at violence, he's looking at um, benevolence and all sorts of things. And he kind of shows that despite what we might think, we are over the long run improving. Like th things are better than they used to be. It's why, you know, um, there's, there's, you know, less violence. Like the, the chances of you kind of being uh, shot to death or, or murdered by a neighbor are far less than they were, say, you know, 10 or 15,000 years ago when everybody was kind of, kind of survival of the fittest. I feel relatively comfortable, you know, on aisle six in Publix, you know, picking out my favorite cereal. I, I don't think, you know, some great danger is, is you know, going to, I mean, other than diabetes, is going to <laughs> overcome me in that, in that process. I probably should be more worried about that today, the truth. But... But even if Pinker is right, and I think there's a, there are a lot of reasons to kind of believe that his, his assessment's not a bad one, that might be what we should expect. Like, we should expect Pinker to be right because the kingdom has been, the seed of the kingdom has been spread, right? We should expect some growth from that seed, as we talked about last week. God says, when my word goes forth, it gets done what it's supposed to get done. Just like the rain or the snow gets done what it's supposed to get done before it returns. But even, you know, all of that notwithstanding, even if that is right, it's not hard to look around and see that people struggle. That sometimes we struggle. That it's not all just getting better and better. There are some things that are difficult and then some things are even getting worse than they were before. And I think that's exactly what this parable speaks about. That, yes, the, is the kingdom of God growing? Yes, it is. And is evil kind of growing? Yes, it is. And here's the hard part. It'd be nice if the growing of the kingdom of God is what we participate in and who we are. And the growing of evil is what's over there somewhere. It's out there. 
right? And we just need our God to come and kind of fix that problem over there so that we'll be okay. It would be great if that was how it worked. But I'm afraid that's not the case because you see, sometimes we participate in those evil things. Sometimes we're the ones who are the catalyst for what's not good. And if God were to just come and kind of judge everything, uh, it might hurt. <laughs> because it's not just going to affect those things about us that are right. It would also affect those things about us that need <laughs> change. And so in some ways, we should be grateful that God is patient. Right? Because we too um, are going to have to you know, face the music one day. So I think it's kind of complex in that regard. Yes, Lord, come and, and do what you do. Judge that which is wicked. Bring it to an end, even if it's in my own heart. The psalmist will talk about this, right? About search, search my heart, God. Know me. Know who I am. Not just who I say I am, not just who I pretend I am, not who I just want to be, you know, not who I, I want my spouse to think I am, <laughs> right? But who I really am. Lord, know me. Search me. Cleanse me. And in that process, we realize that we're all a little bit weedy and we're all a little bit uh, weedy. That sounded the same in it. Wheat. With a T, right? We're, we're like the grass. We're the good thing. And weed or tear, like we're also a bit like the bad thing. But this is where trust comes in. If we could ever have a revelation of who God really is and what God thinks of us, then we would trust this whole process. Like we are the ones who sometimes fall and sometimes we intentionally fall. <laughs> trust me. But here's the thing. We can trust God. And God does catch us. We, we pray about this in the Lord's Prayer. We pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That presupposes that God's will and God's kingdom is somehow realized in the spiritual realm. And it also presupposes that somehow, some ways, that kingdom and that will is yet to be realized in the physical realm. Like, we're not praying for something that already is. It's not, the prayer that we're taught to pray is not just a thanksgiving, like, Lord, thank you that, that your will has already been established. That's not what we're taught to pray. We're taught to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth that it is in heaven. Now, perhaps you're like me. At one point in your life, you're kind of taught that everything somehow fits into the will of God, right? That God wants everything to be what is, is whatever God intended it to be. That somehow we just don't understand how that fits into the will of God. I don't believe that. I don't know that I ever did, but I certainly don't believe it anymore. I think there are ways in which God's will is not happening. And I, and I believe the scriptures teach us not that everything is God's will, but that somehow in the end, God can accomplish what God wants to accomplish. And this is where trust comes into play. It's that 
the story's not yet over. God's still working. So this is how I understand the problem of evil. Not that how could, if there's God is good and evil exists, how can both of those things be true? Well, they are both true, without a doubt in my mind. God is good. And without a doubt in my mind, evil is real. But the God that is good is not yet done. When his will comes, when his kingdom comes, on earth as it is in heaven, all of these things will be resolved. Like the trust is an act of patience. <laughs> it's, a, it's an act of waiting. And even in the new ordinary, we are still in an in-between time. Like, it's a different time <clears throat> than it was before the pouring out of the Spirit at Pentecost, where they were waiting for that to happen. But even after the Spirit was poured out on Pentecost, it wasn't as though all of a sudden all of their problems were resolved. The Spirit was poured out on Pentecost, and we, they could celebrate the fact that all these different languages were hearing about the mighty works of God. And you had all this kind of multiculturalism there. And you would think, wow, they finally overcame the idea of discriminating according to ethnic difference. Wouldn't that be wonderful? But just wait a little bit, right? Because you read a few chapters later, and, the, and all, of these Jews, by the, all of these people, by the way, are Jewish. But you have some Jewish widows who are more Hebraic, and they're being cared for. And you have other Jewish widows, right, who are more Hellenistic, and they're not being cared for. That's only a couple chapters after the Spirit had been poured out on all flesh, right? Where we thought, look, there's all of these people from all these different places, Arabia and Cyprus and Phrygia and everywhere else, right? All those different places. We thought it might be resolved. But there we see it's not quite resolved. Paul will hit this gong over and over. He hits it as a young man where he says, we're neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. He's writing to the Galatians. As a middle-aged man, he's writing to the Romans. He says, look, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God to salvation, first to the Jew and then to the Greek. That could easily be misunder, mis, misread, right? Sometimes we read it like this, first to the Jew, like up here, and then to the Greek, as though there's kind of two tiers. But that's not what he's saying. He's, he's talking about it chronologically. It happened first to the Jews, Abraham and his descendants, and then it included the Greeks, right? And now, since it includes both Jews and Greeks, it includes everyone. It's a, it's a salvation history. And this later in life, he's now writing to the Colossians. He's an old man. And he's saying the same thing, <laughs> that in Christ we are neither slave nor free, male nor female, Jew nor Greek, barbarian, Scythian, yada, 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 yada. Like on and on and on. So why is it that Paul has to, as a young man, as a middle-aged man, as an old man, keep coming back to the same thing. Like after the Spirit's been poured out, after the gospel's been shared. Well, it's because there's both wheat and there's tares. And they're both growing in the world. And they're growing out there and they're growing in here. And this, this process of sanctification is one that God is committed to, but we also have to be committed to. It takes a certain amount of patience and it takes a certain amount of trust. 
And it's a trust that both God will provide and it's a trust that God will do in us what God is going to do in all the world. That we can trust that in the end, God is going to make it right. It's interesting, um, the way that particular parable ends. It's, Jesus says, I'm going to send my angels and I'm going to remove, I'm going to take out those things which are bad. Now that's, that's almost exactly the opposite of kind of how I was raised. <laughs> I wasn't taught that God was going to remove the evil. I was taught that God was going to remove the good and destroy the evil. And the good was now somewhere out here, somewhere. Some kind of nebulous. But that's not what the parable says. The parable says, I'm sending my angels and I'm going to remove those evil things. And then once those are removed, right, then not only has God saved us, us from evil, he saved us from the evil here. And that is good news. That will create a really new ordinary. Beyond where we even are. So don't misunderstand me. I think in some ways we do already experience this. This is what our salvation is. It's not solely that our salvation is somewhere out in the future. I believe we do experience it now. Like we experience the goodness of the gospel. Right? Our lives are changed. Um, we see it in ourselves. We see it in our loved ones. We see it in other people we know who have come to faith. Where their life is being transformed. That they are being liberated from their old practices. That they're being set free from those things that would have held them bondage. Right? It is already being realized to a certain degree. And I, and I think, in a way, that's, that's what it means. And when we say we see the, the, the growth of the crop, right, it is growing. That's a present reality. And that we can be thankful for. But let's not get too, too um, complacent. But let's also not get too overly concerned ab about those, those other difficulties, right? Because we... We trust in God, right? <clears throat> we, have, we have faith and we have kind of the patience of a farmer. Hey, can you hand me my phone real quick? A good friend of mine and of ours, well, it was here. Got it. Um. <clears throat> Well, I guess there's no reason to change the name to protect the innocent. His name's Lyle McBride, and he lived in Lakeland for a long time. He was a close friend of mine. He was an editor at the Ledger. And so for most of his adult life, Lyle was a newspaper guy. And if you work in the world of the newspaper, you're constantly under pressure to produce, right? Because you can't say, hey, I'll get this done on Tuesday because the paper's coming out tomorrow. <laughs> Right? And so it has to be done. There's always a writing deadline. And he lived under that pressure for decades. The first time I met Lyle, he told me, when my youngest graduates from high school, I'm out of here. <laughs> right? I'm going to go, we're going to get a farm, and we're going to grow some grapes, and we're going you know, to change our lives. And sure enough, Cassie Joe graduated. Next thing I know, they're living in East Texas. 
And <clears throat> I reached out to Lyle this week because I remember he had written something about how his life had changed. And it had a lot to do with patience and a lot to do with trust. And I just wanted to share it with you. It's not too long. Let me read it to you. This is from Lyle. Our clocks are being reset. It was at the time of the clock change, time change. He says, it's not a push button, watch the digital numbers blink and go back to midnight kind of change. It's more of a slap of clay on a wheel and a reshape it into a sundial kind of change. Easter sunrise today was an hour later for Lisa and I, but the time zone, time zone difference doesn't begin to measure our perspective shift. For me, the new life emerging three weeks into our move from Florida to O'Farrell, Texas, seems to be about rhythm. During my 33 years in newspapers, we were constantly speeding up, especially as we moved to a news now idea of constantly posting and reposting on the web. As parents, Lisa and I loved the school, church, sports, and family activities that filled our lives, but we regularly felt like we were falling behind the beat. Can anybody testify to that? At work and at home, I probably looked at the clock hundreds of times a day, trying to keep myself on pace. What time is it now? I'm still figuring that out. We still have a work schedule, but it's ordered more around the calendar than the clock. O'Farrell Country Vineyards is open on Fridays and Saturdays. Thursdays is for mowing and cleaning up to get ready for Friday. Sunday is for church and hopefully a day of rest. The other days, those are for working on the long list of things that need to be done. Filtering wine, finishing out the new winery building, paperwork, etc. Beneath that, though, there's a more powerful biological timepiece that doesn't take off seconds so much as flow from one transition to another. Marking 8 a.m.? Not normally relevant. Creation's clock demands more of our attention. Time now is half past fruit tree bloom and moving into full dogwood and wisteria flowering. Our main focus in the last few weeks beating uh, the bud week, or bud break, excuse me, beating the bud break. We finish our pruning just as four acres of grapevines began to explore with tiny bright green leaves. Whew. So for us, this Easter Sunday arrived with a nearly overwhelming realization of rebirth as we experience faith, family, work, and home all cut loose from the moorings to which we have been tied. What we really know about time now is it's time to lean on grace. Now, I'm not a farmer or a poet. <laughs> but man, I'd like to be. <laughs> like, that, that experience that Lyle and Lisa had of kind of, I mean, part of that was just a change of occupation, right? And we all get that. But part of it was much deeper than that. It was, it was leaning into the grace and the patience uh, and the trust that is kind of living with our God and not being overwhelmed by the speediness of the calendar. Uh, two weeks ago when we talked about ordinary pilgrimage, right, part of that was to, to realize that we call this, this season ordinary time. We've called this, the series the new ordinary. But... What I'm, I'm trying to communicate to you, I'm not sure I'm getting it out very well, but what I'm trying to communicate to you is that t 
time matters, <laughs> matter matters, and that understanding who you are in this story and the kind of ordinariness of life is, is kind of get, being set free from the bondage of, you know, that, that kind of pace and, and trusting, trusting in God and, and learning to, to live by faith. That is the new ordinary. Is, is walking in the Spirit and living in the Spirit and walking by faith and living by faith and actually trusting in this story that you've heard over and over again that God created you and God loves you and God has forgiven you and He wants you too to be a forgiver and to trust in that, to, to participate in the, in the creative free act of forgiveness and to let that be your new ordinary. So that you're not marked or, 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 or formed by the calendars of this world or by your 24-hour news networks that kind of tell you what to think about others. And you realize, no, that's not my story. My story is I believe in the one true God. And that true God not just created me, but created them too. So they are us. And we are together. And the idea that somehow we're separate or, or, that, or that we're at odds is not how this actually works. That itself is one of those weeds that needs to be plucked out by the Spirit. So we can see that we are for God, and God is for us, and God is for them, so, so are we too. And so we put our trust into this story, and we embrace this new way this new ordinary. And we live with an extraordinary trust. Uh, Brendan Manning, one of my favorite spiritual writers, wrote a book years ago called Ruthless Trust. I'd highly recommend it. At one of the most difficult times in my life spiritually, that book came into my life. And it was one of those things where, I don't know, sometimes just the right piece you kind of find or it finds you. And in, and, and in Manning's idea of ruthless trust, it's just this. It's that literally the God of creation is the one that's catching you when you fall. The God of creation is the one that's catching you. So it's nice when the one that's catching you is twice your size, right? Right, just ask Wesley or... Ask Carly. And if you're asked to catch one twice your size, it can seem daunting. <laughs> but the one that's catching us is incomparable. The one who's catching us is the same one who can catch the universe. The one who's catching us is the same one who made the universe. The one who's working to make these things right is the one in whom we put our trust. God, give us a revelation of that. May we live with the patience, not of our watches, but of the seasons. May we live with the patience of a farmer. May we live with the imagination of a poet. May we grow in our trust in God. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. 
You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.